Welcome to the Making Jobs Podcast, where we talk about car repair, business ownership, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Hernandez, founder and owner of Matt's Mobile Mechanics. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Schultz, with Witness Security. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. And welcome back. Welcome back, job makers. Makers of jobs. Good morning. We have uh, returned triumphantly, or not entirely triumphantly, but um, we're here nonetheless. Nonetheless. Um, so, um, well, while Tyler's getting um, getting over there, getting a door and locking the door, I know how we, we started off and immediately Tyler bailed. <clears throat> he just, he's like, oh, good morning, gotta go. Went to go lock a door. Um, we talked last week a, a little bit about GameStop stock. We, we talked a lot about the SBA's, um, their silly little, uh, you know, grant situation, their targeted economic injury disaster loan advance Was it last program. week? Yeah. I think so. I thought it was two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? I don't, I don't, th- I don't think so. I think it was last week. I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely last week. Anyhow, we talked about it, talked about it extensively. <laughs> As I'm sure many of you have gathered, I, I have a, a little bit of disdain for um, the Small Business Administration, and I certainly am not a fan of how they've handled that whole situation. But in other news, uh, we did briefly t- talk about GameStop, right? We did. What was the price at <clears throat> when we were talking about it? So if it was, was that like 180 a share? If it was a week ago, let's go ahead and look it up. Let's take a let's take a look see. Oh, that's that's General Electric, not GameStop. <clears throat> How about let's let's do that. Um, Thursday. What was the date on Thursday? Do you remember? So a week ago, it was at 142. Yep. And it had and it had come come up from like forty bucks a share. It had started it had started climbing pretty steadily. If I were you, I would have had a hard time not selling on March tenth. Oh yeah, because it was it jumped. Yeah, it was up to three forty something. That was uh, three forty fifty nine. Mm hmm. Yeah. So what had happened there was that was a last ditch effort. For the hedge funds to, um, also, I want to preface this disclaimer and put a little disclaimer here. This is not financial advice. We're not financial advisors. You know, uh, trade at your own risk. Yada yada yada. Um, especially, don't listen to us um, involving stock market advice, uh, especially on short, um, short interest type gains, because. It, the the information you'll be receiving from us is always going to be slightly delayed um, because there's a good probability that these podcasts will be releasing a week after the fact. So I'll try not to uh, I'm trying not to necessarily give any sort of advice on the matter uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Not only that, <clears throat> but um, I didn't go to school for it, so you know I, I don't know. Don't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> but here's what here's what possibly happened here um on the 10th the reason it hit that wall and it just just plummeted just 
just started, you know, heading nosediving immediately, right? And also, let's talk about the, like, what, so where did it go? So, it, like, it climbed, that day it started, um, the stock opened, I want to say, at like, uh, 140-something-ish. What did it close at? Uh, let's look. Uh, closed on the 9th, it closed at, oh, sorry, 240, uh, 246, okay? It closed at 246, on uh on march 9th or thereabouts um my graph is being silly so um let's just say it closed around 246 that's what it looks like and then it plummeted like it just it, so it climbed up to th you know uh, almost 350 a share and then it nosedived like down to the graph shows the graph shows my graph shows two hundred and three dollars a share, but I know I saw it in live time in, in real time. I saw it at some point below one ninety a share. We right didn't have a button for that though, so I yeah. had to make up my own voices. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a soundboard. <laughs> so, so it, it it crashed bad, and what had happened there was somewhere around and and this is my theory. My Someone theory. Someone got scared. Somebody got real scared. <laughs> Um, is what happened is that it was climbing up and I'm the hedge funds that had shorted the stock. They don't like, and I'm very curious. I want to know like what's behind door number $350. Like where's what's behind that door? What are they afraid of? Right? Like, what are they? They get so close every time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, but they're running out of ammunition. So here's the thing. I think a couple of things happened there. <clears throat> um, I think there was a combination of factors. One is they didn't want it going up above 350. Now, the, where's the margin call at? Uh, to explain to people who, you know, the borrowed shares, at some point or another, the, the margin call is going to hit once it trips at a certain price, and they're going to have to. The margin's going to come calling saying, look, we need, we need that share that you borrowed back it once it hits a x number of dollars and that could some people are theorizing it's between six and eight hundred dollars somewhere in that neighborhood of share um where it kicks in and they're contractually obligated to have to relinquish the shares and can't just keep you know uh, they have to obtain and then return these shares and they can't just keep you know uh paying interest on it on this borrowed stock so what I think happened is they got afraid because of the momentum. And then at some point or another, as in order to execute these short ladder attacks, mm -hmm. it, the higher the price per share goes, the more expensive these moves are to make, right? So it's a whole lot, it's a whole lot more expensive to be playing these games with this, uh, with this, you know, buying, selling, shorting stocks when it's at 300 something a share, much less four or 500 a share. It, the, the numbers change from instead of it costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, it starts costing millions of dollars. And then eventually it starts costing hundreds of millions of dollars to execute these little tricks that they're playing. So I think realistically that margin call probably is higher. I think it is up at, uh, you know, six or 800. And they just were like, well, this is where we can make the most impact with what funds and resources we have. And so that's where that three, because once, honestly, it seems like the way that they reacted to that $350 share price or close to it, the way that they reacted to it tells me that once it gets above that, it's, they're kind of, they've kind of lost all control. <clears throat> and, I think they thought that they were legitimately going to scare away a bunch of a bunch of investors. But so it dropped down over 50% within minutes. I mean minutes. 
And I think what happened is they started short ladder attacking, and then it started plummeting, and they thought they had... They, I think they thought that they had things on the run, and I don't think they wanted it to go down that quick, because here's another thing about the stock market. If it changes, if it, if it drops down 10% that quickly, then what'll happen, like at least 10%, it'll trip. Um, not only will it trigger trade halts, but also it will trip a, um, it'll put that stock on the SSR list, which basically means that they cannot, they, if it's on the SSR list, then they can't short it, the rest of the day and then the following trade day and but they still can short it but they can only short it on an upswing and they can't use borrowed shares to short it if that makes sense right mm -hmm. so so that 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 takes away a trick in their tool bag if they are if the stock is on the ssr list right um so I think what happened is they started shorting it, and they, they're probably running their fancy algorithms, and they were going to try and step it down at a reasonable pace. And I think what happened is some institutional investors who are on the long side of the game and are against the shorts changed teams for a split second to intentionally trip to cause it to go to SSR, and they started shorting along with it and doubled down on it, causing it to plummet so fast because there's too many well-timed executions of this 10% uh, um, drop that happened not just that day but yesterday um what also happened is it is it in the the moment it opened the moment that the stock opened within like within the hour they had managed to trip that breaker causing it causing it to go down plummet 10 percent, then 15 <coughs> minutes later rise back up above uh open price see i don't have a problem with hedge funds or whatever doing their their job um mm -hmm. whatever it is that they do i don't have a problem with that what i do have a problem with is when robin hood and all these uh, apps that people are using to become their own broker what i do have a problem with is them saying okay we gotta we gotta stop the little guys because they just could have possibly easily screwed up. Which that actually also brings up another reason why it plummeted so fast is and how they were able to do so. It triggered a bunch of uh, stop loss, uh, stop limits that people had set in place. They probably had a trailing stop loss of like, you know, say 40% or something like that. And the the hedge funds know this. The reason they know this is because apps like Robinhood... The they, ones that built them. Well, and like Robinhood sells that information. So they, they can see where you have your limits set at. And if you set it to sell with a trailing stop loss forty percent, then they know how to trick how to trigger that to cause a massive dump off of shares. Sure, um, that's another. Way. I've never so, actually used those um, <clears throat> because. Well, on GameStop, I haven't because of the how volatile that stock is. I was afraid that it would sell off too early, and that's why I didn't. Fortunately, I did not have one of those, um, and. A lot of other people who on on Reddit are saying that um, they've removed those trailing stop loss orders because um, because they're they don't want uh, they, they don't want that to happen again because they accidentally relinquish some of their shares. <clears throat> um, so and yeah, and, and technically shorting a stock is not really in its nature. It's if not it, a bad thing. If GameStop were to make another uh, drop like down to 40 bucks or something like that mm -hmm. i'd buy in 
Oh yeah. So that's this. This what's what's so strange about this whole saga. Like a lot of people are they're in the same mindset as me. I'm kind of torn because I want to see it skyrocket, but on the other hand, if it tanks, that just gives me an opportunity to buy, buy more, more shares. Yeah. Um, and 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 the and the fact of the matter is the way that a short squeeze works and the way that this keeps getting played out, drawn out longer and longer. The longer it gets drawn out, the bigger this squeeze will be. And. Um, and and also during that squeeze, it'll last for long enough. Like it, the way a short squeeze works, the way a short squeeze plays out in the market, it doesn't climb up and then stay there for like five, ten minutes or an hour and then plummet. Like right. the squeeze doesn't get over that fast. Sometimes the squeeze could take days, um, or, or it could sometimes take weeks, but it typically takes, at the very least, days to um, to play out. And you'll so when it climbs up there to this unrealistic price point. You'll know it when it starts to deflate because it'll slowly go down over the course of a couple of days, um, and you'll start seeing it before it goes ahead and drastically tanks. Whatever that price point is, I don't know. I used to think that a thousand dollars was probably where that where it was going to go. It was going to squeeze up to a thousand a share. That's what I thought. And now I'm starting to think that a thousand a share is the minimum that it's going to reach. And five thousand a share doesn't seem unreasonable, and ten thousand a share is starting to seem more likely. And to be a hundred percent honest with you, if you were to say, you know, if you were to say, "Hey, do you believe that it won't go to a hundred thousand a share?" If you if you told me, if you told me, if you told me that if it gets to a hundred thousand a share, I'd have to, you know, pull my toenails out, I wouldn't take that bet. <clears throat> I honestly wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't either, because that sounds stupid. Yeah, well... Um, so does 5,000. <laughs> because GameStop's no, no, dead. No, 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 no. no. You, you're misunderstanding me. I think that it could get there. I know. That's I, I understood that. But I'm saying GameStop is dead. When it comes to what they are as a company... Oh, no. GameStop... Not anymore. Not anymore. Here's what's happening. Um, so, for instance, Ryan Cohen is taking over, like it was announced that Ryan Cohen, this is one of the catalysts that caused it to start climbing up. Who's Ryan Cohen? Ryan Cohen is the uh, founder of Chewy, um, the the uh, pet app that, you know, buy pet supplies and stuff. You, I'm, sorry, right. I'm sure you've seen him uh, pop up in advertisements in your Facebook news feed. So he's, he's, uh, he understands e-commerce. So the announcement of him... So there were rumors that he was going to lead up the transformation team, and then it was announced that officially he is going to lead up the transformation team. You know what that means? If th- a guy like Ryan Cohen is doing that, that means that they're going e-commerce. That's the direction they're heading. And now, with this huge influx and infusion of capital that they'll be able to raise because of the stock climbing like this, they could do it. They could legitimately, easily do it and transform the company altogether. GameStop was dead, um, but the new GameStop is not. Um, in fact, you know, they, they should... Uh, I, I don't even know what they should rebrand themselves as because GameStop is not the same. Like, it's not... Not only that, but they've gained a ton of national attention. Like, not national, global. You know, so GameStop is traded in the, in, the, in the German market as well. And so... If you watch the German market, they open up at about uh, 1 a.m. our time, uh, and they uh, they close a couple hours before our pre-market opens. 
And all through the night, the German market is holding the line over there too. And they're just, tra they're just buying, they're buying and holding. And <clears throat> so it's gained global attention. So regardless of, even if they didn't transform, but they're taking this opportunity to transform their business, change it more over to an e-commerce and they'll probably be the next, the Netflix of gaming, honestly. And what they're playing, I guarantee that's where they're heading. They're heading in that direction. They're going to be the Netflix slash Amazon of gaming. Probably more a, a more appropriate analogy would be they would be the Amazon of gaming is what they're going to be. And they're probably going to start, you know, basically a, a game subscription service where you can, you know, get, you know, games for X amount of dollars a month and you can just download them directly, play them. And then, you know, as long as you're paying for the subscription, you have access to this, you know, list of games, right? That's likely what they're going to do. The concept doesn't isn't all that new. It exists. Uh, Xbox has uh, been trying piloting that program for a while, not doing a very good job of it with Xbox Live. Microsoft's been kind of trying that, testing the waters out. Problem is, it's kind of like the infant stages of Netflix. The right now, the Xbox um, uh, Game Pass type situation, they. Um, only like their titles aren't that great. They don't have a ton of, you know, top name titles, kind of like when Netflix first started doing all their streaming, there was, you they know, garbage, garbage for movies. They didn't produce their yeah. own stuff. GameStop's going to get to the point where, and they could, they could slingshot into, into the 21st century or, you know, into the, you know, 25th century, you know, when it came, comes to this, because they already understand, um, the business aspect of it with Ryan Cohen leading this up and they, they understand how the e-commerce works. They could potentially be not only having top of the line, you know, uh, titles in their service, but they could potentially do like what Netflix did and Netflix started producing their own content. GameStop could very well become a game developer as well and then just pump more money into their profits. Right? So that's the direction that we know it's heading. And that being said, do I believe that the company is worth 100000 a share? No, I do not. Do I believe that it could get to 100000 a share? Do you know what Berkshire Hathaway's uh, cost for, per share is? No, I do not. 377000 a share. Yeah, and that's another thing, that too. That is stupid. People, well, so here, that could be, and that could be a fair valuation of the company. Warren Buffett. Yeah, and Warren Buffett has many companies that trade for over 10000 a share. Right. And the reason is, is what happens, that the share goes up and up, and he just doesn't do a stock split. If you don't do a stock split, then it's, you know, um, it's it's not going to go anywhere. Because if, let's say you have a company, and it's not a giant company, um, but let's say for the sake of ease of numbers, you have a publicly traded company with a value of $1 million. It's not a very big company at all. Your market capital is small if you only have $1 million. If you have a million shares, those shares are worth a dollar a piece. But if you only have 10 shares, those shares are... Because you could have a company that only is worth a million bucks. It, you could have it be 100000 a share. Now, obviously, I'm aware that in a publicly traded market, you, you, there's a minimum required amount of shares to have in a corporation, and you can't just have 10. But for the sake of numbers, like it's feasible. So if the company is trading at 300 something thousand dollars a share but they don't have a billion shares out there, you know, and the shares aren't diluted by stock splits and stuff, it could get there. Now, again, do I think the GameStop is worth 100000 a share? I don't think that's the case. Do I think that it will get there due to a short squeeze? I don't know. We're in uncharted territories, but it could. And the reason why 
I say it could. Uh, now, what, what do I think? You know, me personally, I think it's still a value to buy the stock as it sits right now at 260. I know it's going to trade for more than that. After the squeeze and it deflates um, and normalizes back to a normal price, I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be too... I wouldn't think it'd be too crazy for it to trade for around a thousand a share, honestly. I legitimately think that could be a fair valuation of the company with the capital that they raised, the the attention that they gained, and the transformation, the direction that they're planning on heading. And as long as they've got the right captain at the helm to do that, then they'll be able to take this situation <coughs> and turn that company completely around. Which, by the way, as a whole, to me is the coolest thing that has happened in the last, like, you know, five years, uh, happened in the last decade, to see something like this happen where, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm all about making jobs. I'm about, you know, small businesses. And Game, GameStop isn't necessarily a small business, but it was a business that was unfairly targeted by hedge funds. And the public stepped in in a major way and saved this company. They said, look, we like the stock. You know, I like the stock. That's mm -hmm. and, and that's... And, and, and then to see it not just erroneously <clears throat> become a major, you know, uh, basically just a, a huge, you know, money-making scandal for, you know, the, the retail investors, they're taking this opportunity on top of that and turning the company around and saying, look, we've got this opportunity to turn this company into something completely different. You know, they think that our stocks are worth $1,000 a share. Let's give them a reason to believe. It likes to give them a reason for it to be worth $1,000 a share. And that's pretty neat, I think. I think it's, like, I think it's really cool. Um, especially in a, in a time where, you know, we just saw millions of businesses close doors for good because of an economic shutdown, right? And now we have a company that, and again, so... I think shorting is a healthy portion of the stock market, right? Let's say a company is overvalued and, you know, it's trading at $100 a share. And then you say, well, no, it's really only worth about $80 a share. So if you short it and then it comes down to $80 a share, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a good price correction for a, for a stock price. And then we don't have these, you know, we're not going to have an overinflated price. Right. But the problem is when it becomes malicious shorting, when you take a company um, that is, what was, I can't remember what GameStop was trading at when they shorted it, when they took out all of these, they just kept compounding on these short positions that they kept taking out, they kept taking out. But you have a company that was trading for before under $10 a share, it was around like four or something like that, right? Yeah, before all the, <coughs> before it went through the, to the moon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let me look well, up. I don't think it quite even like I think it hit the stratosphere and then it then it ran out of fuel because of some, you know, very shady things. <coughs> Man, you're giving me a workout here having <laughs> having to you know, keep an eye out on your volume knob. Uh your volume because uh, you keep coughing. July, August. So July or August was four dollars and thirty three cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was last year. September was seven dollars and sixty-five. Yeah. September twenty-eight, it jumped to ten. October, it dropped a little bit and came right back up to twelve. So 13. here's here's the deal. 
if you take out short positions on a company that's worth $10 a share and you're not greedy with it and it drops it down to $4 a share, that's fine. January it hit 20 and then jumped immediately to 40 and then that yeah, I remember that weekend. Yeah. So the Friday that it started it hit 40 and then it hit 50 and um I was doing the fire system at Bluebell Ice Cream. And I remember this specifically because the guy, uh, the maintenance guy that was there at Bluebell, he had to basically sit there and babysit me uh, while uh, while you're on Bluebell's property. They think, don't want you just walking around. I think I'd make sure you're not going to steal any other any sweet, sweet cream. cream. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing is, it was in the water management place. So it uh, stank uh, like literal crap. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be great. Anyways, so... He's standing there, and he is constantly looking at his phone, just um, sweating it, man. It was crazy. He's sitting there, and he's like, oh, come on, come on, go over 50, go over 50, go go over 60, come on, come on, like go over watched, 60. Like, like he's watching a freaking horse race. Like, it's like it's a horse betting. <laughs> he goes, if this goes over into uh, $100, he goes, it's going to the freaking moon. It'll be great. And at that point, he said he had 200 shares. At $50 or $60, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he said he bought in when it was at 20 So if he had, so if he had sold when it, when it got up to $480, um, he would have made $96,000. <laughs> and he is a young punk kid. Now, 200 shares, man, that's a lot. That's a lot. He could, if he's held on to them, he could easily be a millionaire by the time this is all over. Could be, but he could have sold and bought back in. That's what I would have done. Yeah, it's true. You know, thing is, though, though, I wouldn't have, I would not have held on all the way to the 480 or whatever it went to. Well, there's no way. I I wouldn't have the. I did. I could not have had the fortitude to be like sitting there going, 400, 480? I held on because I was like, let's get to a thousand, baby. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and then, then the uh, flip was switched and it was like the day that the switch I, was flipped? That, yeah, that it was, the flip was switched. The flip was switched. <laughs> no, the switch could have also been flipped. That, well, you said the flip was switched. Yeah, the flip could have also been switched. No. Yeah, you could switch a flip. You can also flip a switch. Script could have been flipped too. Anyways, something got flipped, right? Right. Um, I would have uh, it, 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 and then it tanks, and I'm like, well, that. And the one thing, the one mantra that I kept in my mind is, well, for one, it was money that I was uh, was able to afford to just lose, right? But the other thing that stuck with me is I, I read um, somewhere on Reddit, and it made the most sense in the whole wide world. Is someone said. You don't lose money if you don't sell it at a loss. It's technically unrealized losses. If it goes back up again, you're making money. Or if you average down by buying more shares and it starts cre- creeping back up, you can you will not lose money. I was like, huh, that makes sense. Because if I buy, initially I bought in at $245 a share. If you buy at $245 a share and you sell it at $200 a share, you lose money. But mm-hmm. if, you, if it drops to $200 and you don't sell then you haven't lost money. And guess what? I didn't lose money. I averaged down whenever it was down, and now we're back up 268 a share, which even if I had never averaged down, I'd still be in the green. 
Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, so with it, with it doing what it's done, and, and no one could have predicted that. That's a problem too. Is like you might could have sold it four eighty, and then but then you may never been able to jump back in because how crappy would that be if it went up to a thousand a share? Uh, then I mean, you e- then instead even, of making ninety six thousand dollars, you can make a hundred or two hundred. If he'd have sold it three hundred dollars, yeah. Watching it keep climbing would have been just uh, it, for mm-hmm. me that would have drove me nuts. Yeah, well, it, it drove me nuts. And and fortunately, to be completely honest with you, it dropped so fast I didn't have time to react. Anyways, so by the time it started tanking, um, I was like, oh. Um, well, I guess I, I already, already started losing too much money, and you know, on that. So at that point, share. you're sitting there going, well, "I was like, well, at this I'm point, in, I'm in it for the long haul. I've got to be." I, so, so I accidentally became a diamond-handed individual. I didn't know. Well, that's the way I am with AMC. I, I bought in at sixteen dollars and seventeen cents a share, yeah. and I've been diamond hands with that because I, there ain't no freaking way I'm selling should've, on should've that. Should have averaged that one down. Um, cause that's well, what I did, but then I sold it. Oh, see, I averaged down and, um, uh, I'm, I'm sitting okay at $10 a share with AMC. Yeah. Um, I, I finally, you know really annoying I finally is- got into the positive on my, uh, Robin hood AMCs. And <clears throat> when I was making five bucks mm-hmm. just to get out of it, cause I was, I was sitting there and just hold the bag for so long with the mm-hmm. Robin hood. I sold. I finally had five bucks in the positive. I was like, <laughs> finally, I got to get out of it. And then, like, literally, no less than 30 seconds. No less. Boom. It went up. <laughs> Six fifty, seven, seven fifty, eight. And Robert, my tech, he's also in it. Uh-huh. And he waited till uh, eight bucks a share. And then it, cl- it climbed up. To, it, at some point, it's, peaked at it's 16. Almost, no, it's not no, yet. It, no, it peaked at uh, 18 or 19. Not yet. At some point. Not, not since, not for a while. No, not since then. It did before. Um, uh, now, if I would have held on to the shares that I bought back last year for, um, Dude. I, I think I paid like three bucks a share. <laughs> same. <laughs> and, uh, I I have <clears throat> bought and sold AMC so many times since I started doing stuff. Well, there's something very valuable that I've learned over this whole situation is that um, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be as in and out with the stock market. The only way to make money is two things. Um, you either have to hold long term or in the event of like a short squeeze or something like that, you have to just hold on tight. And see where it goes. I've learned so much over this past uh, couple of months just because I have been spending a ton of time just diving into... I didn't even know what the heck a stock option was before um, before this whole GameStop saga. And then I was like, well, what, what are these? So, so supposedly you can do a call? <clears throat> yes, that's stock, stock options. And uh-huh. you can do this. You can do so with so Robinhood. A call, from what I understand, is your... Saying you want 20 shares of something? Sort of. So the way that most calls work is they're 100 share contracts. So you're purchasing a contract to buy at a specific price. Okay. So you have to pay a premium for that. And depending upon implied volatility, that premium fluctuates. And so so let's say you have a stock trading at $100 a share. And you say to yourself, I think that stock can go up to, uh, self, I think that stock could go up to 150 a share by next month. 
So then you buy a option that's out a month away and it costs, say it costs 20 cents a share or 20 cents a contract. Uh, or well, it would be 20 cents a share. The, the premium would be 20 cents a share. So then it, you times that by, you know, a hundred, you pay $2 for that one contract. You could, so you pay $2 per contract. And then if that stock price gets in the money, say it's up to 200 a share before your con- before your option expires, then you can do one of two things. You can either exercise your option, which will allow you to purchase that share at a, those at 150 a share when they're currently trading at 200 a share, or you can sell that contract for a profit, and you're never even purchasing a share in that. You make money off of without purchasing a share. It's it's slightly it's a little bit more it's a it's a little bit more like a, a means to with a little bit less risk involved, make short-term gains in in the stock market without getting involved in actually purchasing any securities because um, you kind of hedge your bets in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, that's, you know, I, and, and I, if you would ask me that, you know, uh, two months ago, I would have told you uh, what the heck is a call, what's a put, you know, what's a covered call, what's a, um, you know. So... So I've learned a ton over this course of this whole situation, and I'm actually making smarter investments and making money off of it. So that's another thing that's come out of this whole thing is we've just gained a whole lot more, like most more people in in an income class that traditionally didn't invest are now investing and learning a whole lot about the system and becoming like... Honestly, with today's technology and access to information, they're becoming substantially competitive with, you know, the big brokers and the or the big hedge funds and stuff, um, and the institutional traders. So, you know. So you want to take a turn this conversation <clears throat> to a different turn? Uh, we can, I guess. So, a friend of ours, former boss of ours, posted if they want to give if they want to give fifty thousand dollar forgiveness for student loans. I expect everyone who doesn't have student loans to get a check for $50,000. Hmm. Agree? I, I would think that that is not a terrible idea at all. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that'd be a great down payment for a house for me. Yeah, I mean, that's the only fair way. Well, you know, you could have a down payment for your house if you just bought GameStop shares whenever I said it was a wise decision to do so. <clears throat> You know, True. I got, I got, I got stupid with the research into that. Um, like stupid. Like I opened up a Reddit account. I never even had a Reddit. I've been on Reddit before, but I didn't even, you know, I didn't even have a login. I always viewed it on the web browser. I got the app and everything. Now. Oh, I've um, had, I've <clears throat> had the app for almost two years. Yeah, I know. But I do know that the Reddit forums are very popular in the Uber driving community. Um, and it's a, it's a relatively useful resource in that oh, world. Oh yeah. So, I didn't really have a a reason to get into Reddit because. There wasn't anything on there that had any... There are some great threads. Yeah. There's, well, I've discovered that now. There, There's one called Next Effin' Level, mm-hmm. which people that just have some insane skills uh, do some really crazy things, mm-hmm. and it gets videoed and put on there. There's, so, uh, there's, there's, there's some great threads on Reddit. Yeah. So... Um, my wife can't figure it out. It's great. So I think, I think the reason GameStop could get to so so, the reason why it could be a hundred thousand a share, which is again that is an absurd, it's an absurd thought. But the way it works is, 
if no one wants to sell for less than 100000 a share, then the shorts have to purchase at that price. In a short squeeze, and this is why it's extremely risky, and this is why this, this, this thing irks me so much, is because they got greedy, and they shorted more than 200% of the stock. More than 200%. She put them in a position where they had their nuts hanging out in the wind. And uh, someone came along and said, you know what? I'm going to grab hold of that. <clears throat> and, you know, <laughs> they don't have a choice they at this point. They use it as one of those uh, punching bags? Yeah, speed bag. Yeah. Yeah. No. The, <laughs> so, so it comes to this point where it could. And to be honest with you, if they hadn't halted, if, if, the, uh, if the retail brokerages hadn't have pulled that shady trick where they halted buying and allowed selling... Then people think, uh, then GameStop probably, would have been <clears throat> pulled all the way to a thousand. It would have gone sure. to it would have maybe gone to a thousand. A thousand would be where it was at for sure. That would that would that would almost definitely have been the peak of the short squeeze was a thousand. But what happened was when that happened, people got upset and they said, you know what, I don't want a thousand anymore. Now I want, you know, now I want five thousand a share. And, and you see it in the Reddit forums. People changed their minds. Said, you know what? Now I want 5000 just for that trick that you pulled. Um, and then it kept, it kept changing. It kept throwing these dirty, nasty tricks into the mix. And people have said, you know what? If you don't want to play ball, you know, now we want, want 10000 and, and And I saw a lot of people commenting after, the, after Wednesday's trick. I saw a lot of people commenting saying, you know what? I would have settled for 10000 a share. But now I'm not coming off of it for less than a hundred thousand a share, and it's not like it's not like a few people. It's like an entire Reddit, a subreddit called you know GME, and a lot, a good portion of the Wall Street Bet subreddit that are saying a hundred thousand a share or nothing. Jeez. Now, could it get to that? Possibly. Would it get to that? I have no idea. In fact, some people then there's there's a small minority that are starting to say five hundred thousand a share, and um, and I, I don't man, I don't know. It, could it get to that? Possibly. Will it get to that? I have no idea. Um, but you know, I've already started budgeting for my two point five million dollars that I'll be getting. <clears throat> I've already figured out what I'm doing with it. I won't be working on cars anymore. I can tell you that much. Like, so, unfortunately for you, you'll have to find someone else to work on. Nah, I mean, you'd, you'd still have the same people working on your cars. I'd just sell my company. I'd probably sell it to Frank. Hmm. <clears throat> let him let him take over. I don't think that's allowed. I don't think you're allowed to sell your company. I, 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 if no. I have $2.5 million, I don't care what you think. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to sell. <clears throat> you, you have to work on my cars till the end of time. <laughs> What if I give you the proceeds from the sale of my company? All right, we can work something out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't need the money if I had $2.5 million. I would just be selling it only because I don't want my customers to not have someone, to, uh, you know, a good company to take care of them. Um, yeah, which, uh, which actually brings me to a topic that we briefly talked about off mic at some point, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk about um, a little bit more in depth on the show. Um, so 
we'll take a quick break and be right back and we'll be talking about uh, purchasing and selling businesses and the consequences of that from you know many different aspects so we'll be right back okay so before we dive into the next subject uh, before we carry on from GameStop Tyler is unaware of this uh, of Keith Gill uh, also known as DFV um, which his reddit subhand or his Reddit handle is uh, a deep effing value, and he has a, a YouTube channel, Roaring Kitty, or something along those lines. Well, he was the one who's kind of the the uh, whistleblower on this situation a long time ago. Bought a whole bunch of stock, bought fifty thousand shares in GameStop back when it was like four bucks a share. Well, he became a millionaire pretty quickly, mind you, <clears throat> and. Um, now, he sold some of his stocks before it tanked the first little gamma squeeze that happened um, and went to, I think he gained $13 million on that. So he was brought into this congressional hearing, and one of the congressmen, I forget who it was, um, but so smugly said, do you think at $40 a share it's still worth purchasing? And he said, yes, I like the stock at $40 a share. And, you know, he did shortly after this hearing. Um, he posted that he doubled down, bought another 50,000 shares. Yeah. So when it crept up to like the 300s, I think at that point, his value in the stock was like 26 million on top of the fact that he also, you know, took 13 million profits out the first time and still retained some stocks. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And he's just a poor boy from a poor family. <clears throat> um, and, uh, anyhow, um, oh, and one more thing before I go, uh, before we get on to the next subject here is some people may ask or may say, well, don't you think the government will intervene and say, all right, you know, come on, knock it off. You guys have to sell the shares at, you know, 10,000 a share. You can't, can't be demanding a hundred thousand a share. All right. And I think, no, the reason why the government's not going to intervene is first off, they already haven't. They haven't so far. And secondly, it'd be political career suicide for any politician to jump on the wrong side of this uh, equation. Ocasio-Cortez, who is the dumbest person in Congress, I, I, I'm pretty positive she's definitely the dumbest. Well, there's Maxine Waters as well. <clears throat> well I think She's the one who thinks that an AR weighs about as much as 10 moving boxes that you would move with. I'm, I'm pretty positive still, though. Ocasio's got her beat. I, I, I mean, maybe. Um, but anyways. It's a competition for sure. <laughs> but anyways. She even jumped and agreed, agreed with Ted Cruz. Yeah. So. I think it's, I think it's, I think that the government, the U.S., the federal government is kind of in agreement that they're not going to intervene at this point, especially not in the favor of the hedge funds. Now, mind you, when I say hedge funds, that's just the hedge funds who went short. There's some hedge funds on the other side of the trade too that are also oh, sure. making, you know, where the the short hedge funds are losing eight billion, have lost eight billion dollars so far. The the long the long institutional investors have made eight billion dollars. So, so here's why I think that the government won't step in is because one, it's political career suicide, and secondly, do you know how much taxes are on short term gains? Thirty-five hmm. percent is how much you have to pay on a short-term capital gain. So, think about the windfall of money that this would be for the federal government. Let's just say, 
let's let's just I I did a touch a touch of math. Let's use some conservative numbers here. Conservatively speaking, if it went up to you know let's say let's say a hundred thousand a share, which is ridiculous, and the average person the average person because some people will become trillionaires. They will see the world's first trillionaires in in America. They'll be billionaires and they'll be millionaires. But let's just say on the average, people make just two point five million on average across the board. Of all the retail investors and just just retail investors alone, that would equate to seven trillion dollars in taxes. Seven trillion dollars in taxes if the average retail investor across the board who owns GameStop stocks made only two point five million on average. That's seven trillion dollars to the federal government. That would effectively wipe the slate clean on the additional debt taken on by COVID. And that's extremely conservative numbers because you get, you know, some people who are going to, who potentially could make a hundred million dollars, some people that are going to make billions, some of them, some of them are going to make trillions. So that being said, you know, 35% of that, you know, if the retail investors win, 35% of whatever the win is goes to the federal government. So it's not only financial ben- financially beneficial to them, but it's also you know career wise beneficial to them because you know if they if they jumped on the wrong side, the public would hate them for it, and it just doesn't look good politically to be like, now nah, we're going to protect Wall Street over here. Um, the optics just aren't great. So right. that's why, because that's what that's that. There, there's only literally only two things that prevent this stock from going like stri- not just to the moon, but out of this freaking galaxy. One would be if people stop holding and start selling and they they accept a lower number. And if that doesn't happen, then two, the only other thing that could happen is government intervention. And I think for certain government intervention is not going to occur, which means that it all boils down to do the retail investors and the institutions on the same side of the trade, do they hold on? And then the sky's the limit. We're in uncharted territories at this point. So, True. Um, so we just don't know. Now, moving on. Um, as I talked briefly about, you know, the idea, if I made $2.5 million, how I would sell my mobile mechanic company, I'd still keep the farm business and I would still be farming. In fact, that's what I would do. I would, I would just shift to farming <clears throat> uh, full time. It's, uh, it's, it's not that I dislike working on cars, um, but, um, I, I very much enjoy working on the farm and raising, you know, be, being a productive member of society by producing, you know, farm products. And also, whenever I work on the farm, I get to work where my family's at. So I get to spend time around my family. When I work on cars, I can't, you know, have the whole family out there working on cars with me. Um, be a little bit chaotic if that were the case. Yeah, a little bit. So to talk about purchasing and selling businesses and the impacts thereof, we talked about it a little while ago. Because there's always that there's always that thought as a business owner. When you built a successful business, it's a lot of work to continue to maintain it. And then you think to yourself, Man, how much is my business worth and could I sell it and would that be enough to retire off of? Um and to be honest with you, a lot of the good businesses, a lot of the good small businesses, it's not as much about the money in some cases as why they wouldn't sell um, because it may be, you may be able to sell and retire off of it. But the reason why some people may not want to retire is they think, you know, and this was my thought, this is my thought with, you know, selling a company, I'd have to have a pretty 
rock-solid contract to ensure that my company, the direction of my company doesn't just go south the second that I sell it. Because I, I have, you know, true concern for my customers, the people that I take care of. Now, if you own a store, you know, if you have a retail establishment, it's not as, like, that's, it's not as, it's not as pressing to, mm-hmm. to a degree, because if you sell it to someone else and, you know, the prices basically remain the same, products remain the same, then, you know, I, I just, and there may be some, like, small stores that would, would genuinely care and be concerned for their customers, because you may have, like, a real small, you know, say you sell artisanal soaps in a small town in Wisconsin, right, using um, Wisconsin cheese, um, <clears throat> or Wisconsin dairy, rather, to produce these soaps. I don't know why that's my example, but that's what it is. So we're going with it. And, you know, you have a pretty, pretty good, um, you know, relationship with your customers and your, in your, you know, suppliers and you, you got these dairy farmers that you're purchasing your products from and, and you don't want it to see it go south. Like I could see that, but you know, let's say you own a, a chain of convenience stores. You're not necessarily as like it's it's a little bit easier to detach yourself from the emotional attachment of servicing the customers because what do you do you know you're 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 selling them snacks and um, you know gas or whatever and yeah it's not that you're not providing a good service you are but is is there going to be as much emotional attachment to it as if you have a company like yours or like mine where you provide a service <clears throat> and a lot of people use, there's a lot of parallels between my company and your company in the sense that even though we're in completely different industries, but the core concepts behind them, a lot of people switch to your company because the other companies aren't good. Like they don't take care of the customer the same way that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of people have switched companies because the company they were with got sold to somebody else. And a lot of people use my company because they don't like the traditional sense of the of the uh, of the mechanic shop, and I take better care of them, right? So, so if I were to sell the company, I'd have to sell it to someone that I trust is going to ensure that the company continues the direction that I want it to go. Not because, because realistically, once I get once I get the money from it, who you know, what is it hurting me at that point? It's not my concern. Right, but I still like I I have concern for like how are my customers going to be taken care of, and that exists. That's a real concern or thought when it comes to you know any good small business that has good core concepts. It's not that much about the money, because um, <clears throat> I mean it is. There's a certain degree. You know, it would be it wouldn't be great of an idea to sell your company for um, an amount that wouldn't allow you to retire. Right, because then what's the point? You have you know. You have a cow, continue milking it, um, <clears throat> unless you can sell the cow to buy a lifetime supply of milk. You know, if the cow, if the cow, if you sell the cow and it only buys you a year's worth of milk, then you're just going to end up, you know, losing in the, in the long run. And there may be other circumstances where someone needs to sell a business, um, you know, and so they do sell for less than what they have to, what they can retire on. Perhaps they just don't have the time or perhaps it's a, a business you know, that involves, you know, manual labor and you get to a point where you're getting too old to do that type of stuff. And so you sell and start, you know, maybe you do something else uh, for a living or whatever, or maybe the stress, whatever it may be. There are plenty of reasons and scenarios for selling a business, but, you know, at the, at the end of it, 
and, and you guys, you guys have talked about it, the, the, the idea. The, the, any business owner who builds a successful business and looks at the valuation of what their company could be worth has entertained the thought. Anyone who says otherwise is, is lying to themselves. <clears throat> well, for the longest time, we did um, have the idea that, no, we'll never sell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't mean to cough. I like as how you I, moved you moved the mic closer just to cough into it. <laughs> I did not mean to cough. Um, Usually you I give me a cue, like you start looking away from the mic, and I can turn it down. And I saw you bringing the mic closer, so I was like, ah, I'll just leave the volume. <laughs> so we, for the longest time, had the idea that we'd never sell, um, that it would be uh, an investment for mine and Liette's future, because obviously Keith is, I mean, we're never, uh, as human beings, we're never going to be here forever. Uh, but no. Keith yeah. is going to be here less time on this earth than Liette and I will. Probably, a, that's, it's statistically that's safe likely. Bet. Yeah. So the thought was, no, we're not going to sell. But uh, there have been, <clears throat> over the years... Uh, there's been some rifts that Liette and I and uh, yeah. Keith have had. I mean, it's family. It's a family-run business. Yeah. There's going to be rifts. Mm-hmm. And Keith, in a lot of cases, um, if there is a riff, he doesn't like having rifts. Mm-hmm. And so uh, his thought was, well, how about we just go ahead and sell? And I said, at first, I was like, dead. Absolutely not. <clears throat> but you, first of all, no, you can't just pull the trigger and say let's yeah. sell because I'm an owner and Liet's an owner, and but then you don't have the final say. But then when you look at the numbers and you're like, well, we could sell for enough money for all of us to retire, it becomes an entertaining thought. Exactly. Problem is, in your case, you know, who would buy? Probably one of your competitors that your a lot of your customers moved away from. Exactly. You know? And if if that did come down, uh, Guardian, let's mm-hmm. say. Let's say Guardian decides that they're going to purchase us. Yeah. Uh, it's going to have to be such a stupid number uh, for us to quit. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a similar thought, you know, has crossed my mind. You know, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, I've built myself, you know, pretty solid foundation of a customer base. Like it would, especially in the age of mobile mechanics rising up, like... If someone had the capital to purchase my company, they could, you know, in a lot of, they, they would likely, if they don't at least double their company size, it would, you know, triple or quadruple it with my, so the question with my is, customer base. If you, if you had a buyer call you up <clears throat> right now, what would your number be? That brings us into a very good question. And the question is, how much is my company worth? No, no, no. No, no, I mean, like I, in general, like the general question like wit- is witness security. <clears throat> If someone were to call right now, my number is nine million. It's funny. I was going to guess eleven million. So the reason I say nine million, it's enough for it's, everyone to retire. It's enough for everyone to retire. It's much more than the valuation of witness. Yeah, much more. Because <clears throat> really, in uh, in figures. Uh, evaluation of the company. Yeah. We're only at about three to maybe four million and that's, tops. That's what brings me into but it. If you want to take us out of the pie, out of the the mm-hmm. uh, what we're competing with, then nine million is where it's got to be. Yeah, I think that's Kyla, <clears throat> huh. my secretary. 
Well, and so what I was going to get at was the um, the possibility that um, so so the way that company valuations work um, is it varies. There's just there's not a Kelly Blue Book for companies, you know, and there's many different calculations. But as a general rule of thumb, you can just you can take a company's gross profits, um, multiply that by five years. And that's typically kind of a general rule of thumb of what that business is worth, plus their assets. If you have, in your case, you guys have, you know, do trucks come along with it? Does property come along with it? Then you add that total figure in as well to what those values are. Sure. So so if you have equipment or something that's coming along with business. Now, if you're just selling basically a customer base and a name, then it's really strictly based off of what are what are the gross profits over a five-year period. Um, and, and that's just a general rule of thumb. There's so many other things that go into it as well. And there's other intrinsic value that you could include and say, well, my company's gross profits are X amount, but we're growing. You look at, look at the fact that we're growing, you know, 50% a year. You wouldn't just go by that either. Um, so, so your, uh, oh, (laughs) we have, we have all the chairs and his, his, uh, Secretary just came in and has no chair, and he doesn't have a standing desk uh, for her to stand at. Um, but so, but then there's also there's other valuations, and the way that you value it is sometimes depending upon your particular industry and your market and your competitive market. It may not be as much about company valuation and the traditional numbers, and much about you know could just be you name your price. And say this is what I would want, um, you know. Ex- you know, it's got to be in your case. You know, you say nine million, um, and your company could very well be worth that too, um, because it's not just it's not just about the necessarily the numbers and the company valuation figures that you figure out. There's also intrinsic value in removing a competitor because you're not they they wouldn't just be gaining customers. They would also be losing a competitor that they're losing customers from. Well, I mean, just like. The the reason we do the the podcast, um, we're gaining website presence, uh, mm-hmm. and even when someone buys, if that were ever to come down the pike, that we would sell. Mm-hmm. When they do buy a company, they get all of your web presence as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and those and those are hard things to evaluate as well because it's not right. just based off of company gross profits. You're also looking at what's the company's, you know, um, like how does the company, like, because when you're buying a company, if you're also buying a name and you're buying their brand recognition. And witness witness here in the Tulsa area, we've, yeah. we've built some pretty good brand yeah. recognition. Which would make for, like, say you take a nationwide company, for instance, like um, uh, Brinks or ADT, who looks around and says, look, you know. Oh, they'd look at this they, and say, well, no, nah, it's not worth $9 million. No, but. but they might look at they might look at it and think well we want to get in the local area but we want to maintain the appearance of a small local business and so they keep your brand recognition you know i mean this the reason why ADT um, owns protection 1 and it still remains protection 1 and not ADT well protection 1's a nationwide <clears throat> company as well well yes but what i mean is well protection 1 bought protection- TNT so protection one, well, actually, no protection. Well, protection one, one bought uh, ASG. ASG and yeah. ASG brought, bought TNT. All of those companies are yeah. formally. But when ASG purchased TNT, they didn't change 
the name. They didn't no, change they didn't. the brand. They kept the brand the same. Now, when no, it was Protection One doing business as TNT, yes, um, and then P One when they bought ASG, then they changed brand. Yes. Um, now, Protection One, when it comes to security, they only do mm-hmm. commercial now, and ADT does um, all residential. The, all the residential. Yeah. So they separated so, it out, but they yeah. ma- they're a massive company. And that's the thing too. Like, say, say you're on the other side of that transaction, and you're considering purchasing a company. You have to take understand like, is that brand worth, um, is that brand worth keeping around, or does it need to be rebranded? Um, he, he thinks he's walking quiet. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the so the brand may may hold enough intrinsic value, and, and that's another thing too. You basically have to evaluate: is are the customers do the customers care about the name of the company? Depend upon the company that you're working with. And in the case of ASG, they did, especially because TNT for the longest time is a locally owned operated company. I still find it hilarious that all the customers that came from ADT, they were ticked off at ADT, have that stayed with TNT, yeah, have made it full circle. Yeah, that well, and is, that's the that is hilarious. To and me. that's the thing I was talking about is like you know the reason the the only thing that would you know aside from the fact that you know you haven't necessarily had a buyer approach you and say hey I'll give you nine million, but the other concern we've, is we've had many buyers uh, yeah. call us. Mm-hmm. But we're not at a point where we want to sell, so yeah, and it's they can pound sand. It, it, it's it's so and then so then you have not only the concern for your customers, but then like what do you you know how about what about your employees? And that's something that you know I've considered. I've thought of this. You know, if I sell, I it has to be to a company that I and a person, a business owner that I know will take my business in the right direction. Um, that's why I would suggest you know. Frank Sarita with On Demand Mechanic, I, I I genuinely believe that he wouldn't tank my company. Um, but I so even you wouldn't sell it to Kenneth. No, absolutely not. <clears throat> and it's not that I don't trust Kenneth um, as a you know as a mechanic or a or a business partner. Um, it's that I I don't he for one I don't think he would have the capital to pay the number the number that I want. But also too he wouldn't um, he he wouldn't. He wouldn't take the business and the like. Everything he learned about business, he's came, learned from me. He learned from me, and that's not to say that he didn't learn a lot about business. It's just I still know more. And now Frank, on the other hand, is a he's a he's a genius. I mean, he's he's he, his business developed the same time mine did, independently of each other. We came to basically the same conclusion. So that's how I know that he would take the. His, I know he would take my business in the right direction because that's what he did with his business. We we started our companies at the same time, and for the first two years of our business being in existence, we didn't know about each other. And when we finally met, um, and talked about it, there was the similarities between my business and his was was it was scary, almost like we had coordinated, almost like we way back in you know 2015 we got together and said or 2016, yeah yeah 2016 we got together and said hey here's our business plans and we like drafted them together or something. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, so one, I'd have to find someone that I trust. And even though I trust him, I'd still have to draw up a contract to, you know, discuss like what direction my company would go and what he would be required to do with it. And how, you know, I'd still, my receptionist would still have to have a job even with him, which he wouldn't mind. He'd, he'd love to steal my receptionist from me, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> but also, 
uh, and then also my subcontractors would have to still be uh, taken care of in a similar manner. And then my customers, you know, I, and also there's, there wouldn't be a whole lot that I'd have to enforce in this contract because his business, his price points are the same. We have the same business philosophy. He has the same care for his customers. And so it's less, con- in fact, the mechanic that, you know, that works for him, that is his primary subcontractor used to be one of my mechanics. So I know that the quality of work isn't going to change either. Right. So that would be something that, so like realistically, honestly, as far as witness security is concerned, you guys would see like no difference in the maintenance of your vehicles because it'd be the same people that have been working on your cars all these years anyways. (laughs) Um, But my, my, you know, so you, when you, when you're, when you have a business that you care about, especially most small business owners, you just, that's, that's just kind of one of those things. It's like, it's your baby. You know, you started it from nothing. And here it is, um, you know, all grown up, and you don't want it to get into the wrong hands. You know, you don't want to just send it off to wherever and just let it, let it go type of a deal, in most cases, I would say. Um, and Honestly, the way I see it, uh, I have a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah, it was a, it, it's Keith's and my baby, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. When I sell it... I don't care. <laughs> I will walk away from whatever thing I sell. My house that I'm working on flipping. Yeah. When I sell it, though I put a lot of time into it, if uh, they, whoever the buyer is, decided to plow it to put in this massive mansion, mm-hmm. I don't care. It's not mine. I got my money out of it. And so would I be bummed whenever... Uh, say like they did demolish that house or say someone bought witness security a couple years down the road or whatever and they, they really paid a nice figure for it. Mm-hmm. Would I be bummed to go, bummer, I'm not going to see my logo anymore. Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, I've walked away from it. I don't care. Yeah. Well, so for me, that's, like... That's where you, where you have to be somewhat. Yeah. You have to be able to say... Well, that's why that's why away. that's why I have that much care <clears throat> into who would buy my company and how it would go because then I could comfortably sleep at night knowing that whenever I did, it went to the the right person. And realistically, he's kind of my only my only plan that someone I would trust to to take my company, um, which is inconvenient because he's like twenty something years older than me. So if one of us is looking to retire, at, you know, uh, it's probably going to be him before me. So <laughs> so say he wanted to uh, get out of the game. Would you buy his company? I, I possibly would. It depends um, because he has the he has the same. If you were to base. buy, if you were to buy his company, what would you pay for his company? That's a that's a real tricky question because you know it. it I I guarantee you his business valuation is going to be in the millions, um, probably two or three million at least. Because you got to think, he didn't. Okay, our business. If you were to sell your of, company. What would you you evaluate? It'd have to be around two or three million. Yeah, our businesses are worth about the same. Now, if we had more, um, uh, let's go ahead and sell your company then, because you said you'd give me the proceeds. (laughs) (laughs) If I made, (laughs) if I made the money off. Well, to be honest with you, like if uh, if if I come out of this GameStop trade with two point five million dollars in my pocket, I won't have to sell my company for two or three million dollars. (laughs) I'd. I'd cut I'd cut uh, Frank a pretty good deal, and then I guess I'd buy your house with that money. <laughs> <laughs> here's a here's your house, Tyler. Good, good for for your troubles, you know. 
I'll buy that 10 acre property for you, <laughs> you know? Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, it's one of those things that now, now another thing that I'd have to realistically figure into the contract is I would want, um, I would want there to be a guarantee that, um, my children would be considered in the, um, like when Frank wants to sell and retire, that my children would have to have an option to acquire the company, um, you know, or at least operate the company with the option to purchase. Um, <clears throat> because that's another reason for building the business. If you want to build, you know, um, a family business that you can pass on to your kids. Yeah, Tricky thing is, though, is, you know, my oldest kid is 12. So, <clears throat> and he says now that he'd like to run my business, but what if he doesn't want to in 10 years, you know, 10 years from now, he doesn't have that same interest. Then I've, you know, and then none of my kids want to run the company. Then when I had an opportunity to sell and then spend another 10 years building this company, just to have it in a position where the kids can take over and then they get to a certain age, you're like, nah, I'd rather not do this. I'd rather, you know, be a farmer or an artist or something. If you keep your, keep your business going, uh, you're going to tick off some, actual shops yeah 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 but here's the problem is i'd have the toughest time in the world selling my company to like firestone i would have the tricky because eventually brick and mortar shops are going to shift to a mobile situation okay um but i i I wouldn't you don't think that if you built your company uh and you have all these clients this list of clients you don't think Somebody like Firestone wouldn't want to buy that. Oh no, they probably would. I just have a tough time selling it to. Even them. if it was a really nice number. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like you guys would be very uh, unhappy if my oh, company yeah. got purchased by Firestone. But I then I know that you wouldn't blame me if I got paid twenty million for it. You know. No. Because <laughs> I'll just buy you all new cars. Then you don't have to. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about maintenance. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, it's that's the thing it's you know all these these thoughts like it almost makes me mildly anxious like it like almost am sad at just the thought of selling my company but the reality is at some point or another i can no longer i'm not gonna be able to do it forever um and you know i could i mean theoretically i could manage it forever you can manage it forever because uh there's a lot older dudes than you turning wrenches but the thing is at some point or another do i want to you know when I'm 50, I don't want to be having to manage this company anymore. Um, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather have no cares in the world and uh, be out on my boat fishing than have to you know be out on the boat fishing well, and then constantly manage a company. The same thing, <clears throat> you could manage your company, but you're not really CEOs really actually have to do any uh, a lot of I mean big CEOs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get to a certain point where you have a good administrative staff and in place. Do. Um, and yeah, it, Ra- Rachel's a phenomenal. <clears throat> yeah, uh, but then you have to get you know you have to get an operations officer involved to to handle everything on, as far as the operations goes. Rachel is great administrative personnel and handles. She you know she would basically take over operations of managing literally everything. You know she'd do what she does and then some at some point. And she'd probably you know if it got to the point where the company's were twenty million dollars, we'd probably also have to have a staff below her working, <laughs> and she would just be administrative management. And then <clears throat> I'd have to have an operations officer to handle the day-to-day operations, so that way I could maintain being a CEO and not have to, you know, that a CEO who doesn't have to do anything has to have a very good, very good staff, um, uh, which you know, it's it's possible. 
you know, it could be possible to be at that. And that's the thing is you never know about the future. And, uh, and that's why it's always, it's always just a tricky thing to consider, you know, on, on the small business side of things. Um, it's always difficult whenever it comes to these, you know, the transactions of, of companies because companies do change hands and stuff, but at the small business level, everything's a little bit more personal. And okay. so, um, so that's where it gets, you know, that's where like, and, and that's why, honestly, uh, the reality of the thing is, is regardless of the valuation, what the on paper says, most, most businesses, um, or a lot of businesses often sell for more than what they're actually worth because the owner is emotionally, so emotionally invested in it that they don't want to, um, you know, they don't, they don't want to let go of it for less than the, in the instance of you guys, not only are you emotionally invested in it, but in order for everyone, well, the reality is if it wasn't a company <clears throat> um, that had that type of emotional attachment to it, you wouldn't, you would, you'd sell it for what it's worth, but you want to sell it for more than what it's worth because that number would have to make it to where you could take care of, you know, not only all of the owners, but also all of your employees and, and everything exactly. along those lines. So that would be, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, so typically speaking, because of that, a lot of small businesses tend to sell for more than, um, more than what they're worth. But then on the other hand, you can, there's a lot of businesses that sell for far less than what they're worth because the owner is either in hard times financially or is, um, in a situation where, um, uh, there's a company called A&H <clears throat> Security, uh-huh. um, back whenever I was first, yeah. I was new. Like green to the industry, and they had to sell the Guardian because mm-hmm. they. Had, the only reason I know this is my real estate agent happened to be their real estate agent, and their real estate agent uh, <clears throat> helped them buy a bunch of homes to flip mm-hmm. uh, back when the market was. Uh, I guess they were probably watching too much HGTV or something because <laughs> they were buying bit, a bunch of foreclosures. A little bit too much of that Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yep. And so they uh, overextended themselves and uh, they thought, well, we can buy these homes and put a security system in and sell the home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a stupid move. <laughs> uh, if that's what your your whole goal is, is just to buy a home so you can put a security system and camera system maybe and sell it. Yeah. And uh, that that was their, their extent of basically flipping homes. <clears throat> um, problem is, when it comes to foreclosure, you have to hang on to that home for a year. So if you, that's not the plan in the beginning, is to depend upon to the it. type of mortgage that you acquire. No, HUD requires <clears throat> a year at least. You can't just go in and flip it. Even with a conventional, doesn't matter what kind of loan. Huh? I was always under the impression that a conventional would. I I, I stepped through every loan with our house to try and figure that out, <laughs> and they said does not matter what kind of hmm. loan. Uh, now, even, if you purchase it cash or you have a... a even a, cash. Really? Because it's HUD, they want people to stay in it at least a year. Uh, and... That makes a whole lot of no sense. Well, it's government. Um, but... Yeah. <clears throat> federal so government at that, so... They they want you to stay in, in the home at least a year <clears throat> so that, uh, for whatever reason, it's... Something to do with uh, they want they want residents living, yeah. not uh, 
they're, they're not wanting people to make money on it. Yeah, because because heaven forbid someone makes money off of you know and puts that money back into the market. Yeah, why would why would why would we want anyone just going around making? We don't want to make it too easy for people to make money. You know, right? That'd be <clears> stupid. Yeah, just the same reason why pattern day trading isn't allowed unless you have more than twenty five thousand in the market. Yeah, because somehow if you have twenty five thousand dollars, you're somehow smarter than you know a guy who has ten thousand dollars in the market. What? What does that make any sense? <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. So imagine that. Um, but yeah, um, I don't even remember where we were going with that. Oh yeah, a company selling um, <clears throat> because of the situation. They get. I mean, I know a guy. We actually we both know a guy who uh, was talking about selling his company for kind of a steal of a deal almost. Um, and um, and I think it was primarily because he wanted to move. He wanted it out of. He wanted to move to. Uh, I think he wanted to move to Colorado. Is the only reason I think he was wanting to sell his company, not because of financial reasons, but his particular uh, a lawn business that we know. Um, and and that that lawn business is kind of hard to move to. Yeah, I can't just go and you can't up and pick move up it. and move your clients. Yeah. yeah, that's another thing. Another reason why someone might sell is if you have a local, you know, a locally based company that you service customers at and then if it's a difficult to manage if it's difficult to manage remotely then you know and you're like hey we're gonna move you know to another state you kind of put yourself in a position where you might have to just go ahead and sell that company um and that's we have a a customer that uh that uh, called in last night yep and keith uh, answers the phone the guy says uh uh, um he's ripping just going off on Keith mm-hmm. and just ripping him a new one. And Keith, the way he usually handles these things, he listens and listens and listens and listens. And then after a while of getting ripped, mm-hmm. he's had enough. <laughs> and he finally says, okay, are you done? <clears throat> and the guy goes, yeah. He goes, okay. Now, and he starts going into the his answer. Well, his he responds to the guy, and the guy says, um, uh, he, he decides to fly off the handle again, and Keith says, look, here's the deal. I don't need you as a customer. He goes, well, okay, well, then you you just lost another customer. <laughs> or you, you just <clears throat> lost a customer. Keith goes, okay. <laughs> he goes, sounds great. And so he, uh, at the end of the call, he hangs up and it was just so funny. <clears throat> Keith calls me back and he's like, yeah, that was, uh, probably one of the most funny calls. <laughs> he flips off, just, just goes nuts. Yeah. And he goes, I, I don't, I don't need people like that. Yeah. No, it's too much. It's too much work. You know, at some point or another, you realize, and that's, that's a, I think I've talked about it before on this show. I've said that, you know, the most beautiful realization that you'll have as a business is whenever you realize that you can fire customers. Yeah. Know? I mean, <laughs> you can fire customers just as well as they can fire you. Yeah. Um, if, if a customer is going to, uh, we had one that decided that they were going to, um, just call in and rip one of the girls. I can't remember who it was, but they, they thought that they could just talk down to the customer or talk to, down to us. Yeah. No. 
our our girls, our secretaries, are human beings, just like you're a human being. Mm-hmm. We're going to treat you with respect. You treat us with respect. Yeah, I can't remember the exact scenario that I had, um, but someone called, and then uh, my receptionist, Rachel, she called me and said, hey, you know, this guy, he's, you know, yelling and screaming and, like, cussing at me. And uh, this is at the time whenever Kenneth was still, um, you know, co-owner of my company. And we both were like, no, that's it. He's done. You don't, yeah. you don't get to cuss at my receptionist. I don't care what the situation is. So I called him and I told him, I said, look, um, we don't need this. And I, and I said, until um, the, so we're, we're just not going to do business with you. I don't care. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care how, like, you can't be mad at her because of, you know, a scheduling issue because we can't get in to see your vehicle. I think that was yeah. it. Like he wanted, he was angry about something and wanted us there like right away. And, and it had absolutely nothing to do with Rachel, especially. And I said, look, if you're going to yell at somebody and you want to yell at somebody, you could probably yell at me. But I said, no, we're not doing business with you anymore. We're done. Yeah. And, I, and he's, and he's, and he's, but he's in a position where <clears throat> he couldn't afford to, you know, it, it was a bigger truck, so like he, it would be expensive to tow it. So he really needed us to work on it. He's like, okay, you know, I, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I'll I'll stay calm. I lost my I lost my cool. Um, you know, I, I you know I I promise I won't do that again. If you could please come out and work on my vehicle. I said, don't apologize to me. I said you have to call and apologize to my receptionist. And if you apologize to her, then we will consider doing business with you again. And so then I got off the phone with him and I texted Rachel and I said, it's okay to answer the, cause I told her when she told me what he did, I said, don't answer another call from him. I'll handle it next time. And then I texted her and said, it's okay to answer a call from this guy now. Uh, he's, he's calling to apologize to you. Let me know if he does. And she said he sounded real sincere. It was real <laughs> nice and apologized, uh, for yelling at her. And, um, and then, so then we worked on his truck. Uh, but so this guy that, uh, that, Keith basically fired as a customer yesterday. He uh, <clears throat> was about uh, six months ago or so. He calls, mm-hmm. and middle of the night, he calls up, and the guy threatened Keith's life. <clears throat> like, oh. he, he said he was going to basically shoot Keith. And <laughs> at that point, no, you're not a customer anymore, in my opinion. Keith still yeah. went out and did the service call or whatever, <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm sure Keith was carrying at that point. Yeah. But uh, no, my life is not worth no, a you'd customer. Be, you'd be fired. I'd probably have a restraining order taken out. That's the yeah. way I looked at it. Yeah, it'd be done. Um, yeah, it's. Um, but it is. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a very freeing realization when you're like, hey, because at some point, you know, yeah, a customer is a customer. But they're not just numbers. It's not just money per se, because because some customers are far easier to deal with. That's easier money. If they're right. not easy to deal with, then and, and now it's and real hard to do that at the beginning of the business, honestly, because you'll take you almost seem like I'll take any anything I can get. But and, the reality is, if I could go back in time, um, I I think. I think my business would still be fine and do better, do grow just the same, if I didn't like if I was more picky about the people that I would deal with and I wouldn't take it from them because the reality is is sometimes those customers you know on face value it looks like you're making money but if you're spending twice as much time dealing with them you're losing money well that's Um, part of the reason why we raised our rates that's Uh, the reason I did as well because at some point or another you hit it yeah 
the dicks, basically. Yeah, at some point or another, there's this weird thing that happens. You find the sweet spot where you are competitive, but you're not you're not too cheap. Because if you're too cheap for whatever reason, if you're too cheap, I don't know what it is, but it turns customers into into you know, just just a bunch of Karens, I guess. Um, and it gets it gets insane. Uh, and and the, the crazy thing is, and that's why I say that I would have been fine if I started out being more selective of my customers, because the reality is... Well, them is, Karens and them Richards are just something else. To, yeah. Today, <laughs> today in my business, in my customer profiles, um, the reality is, is that it's... None of those, none of those customers that were problematic are even my customers anymore, in, even regardless, because... Do you have... Uh, so say his name's Joe Smith. Mm-hmm. Do you have in parentheses Richard? Is his, uh, no, actually. His name? Let me uh, let me tell you what I, what some of I so I have a ban list of my customer profiles. People who are banned from business. <laughs> um, we do not see. have a ban list, but uh, <laughs> I do. As soon as somebody's name pops up on the uh, the caller or the caller ID, all of us uh, just see the number, name or like. Okay, oh, so I'm not going to say this customer's name, but I'll say what the what the title of the customer's name is in the customer profile. I'll just replace it with you know John Smith, for sure. instance. So John Smith, um, asterisk, banned from business. See notes, <laughs> and then in the notes on that profile, I say customer consumed an or- inordinate amount of time requesting Matt to come out for nearly a month. When he finally allows Kenneth to do the work, it turned out he just needed his truck jumped. A few days later, he began complaining about the $75 diagnostics, claiming that we didn't have to diagnose anything. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And also, uh, top, like his, his complaint was that he, you know, he was only out there for 20 minutes, so if he would have known that he was getting charged for full diagnostics, then he would have had him diagnose, you know, do an do a overview or diagnose the vehicle or something. It's like, look, you are aware of the rates. You were a customer before. And he called me complaining and saying, look, you know, I want to continue doing business with you. So then I look up his history, and he's literally, we've literally worked on his vehicle like three times, making a grand total of like, uh, maybe like $200 profit off of this customer over a three-year period. Three years. He's been a good customer, though. Yeah. For three years, I made a whole $200 profit. You, you just need to respect yeah. him as a customer and just And wants to, wants to complain about $75. And if I refund him the $75, then the total profit I've made off of this customer over three years is $125. So clearly, it's not worth my time <laughs> to spend <laughs> three years dealing with this guy. Um, and, and when I say inordinate amount of time, I mean inordinate amount of time. And on a, you know, on a $75 diagnostics after paying, you know, for labor and all that stuff, I make a whopping $10. So if I refund and mind you, I still have to pay for that labor, even though I refunded him. So I actually lost more than just $75 because that was mostly an expense on my end. So, so I'm like, this isn't that type of customer isn't worth it. That's why they'll end up on my band list. And the reason that they stay in the customer profile is because if we forget, you know, in the name, you know, we don't know this person's name or whatever, and they call later on and they want to set up an appointment, then Rachel has to go in and to set up a booking um, and everything, she has to go into the customer profile and she'll type in that name and then it pops up and it says banned from business. And then if she has any questions as to why, she can scroll into the notes and be like, okay, yeah. And then she can let me know, hey, so-and-so, you know, called, wanted to schedule an appointment, I'd say, okay, I'll handle them. And I'll call them and explain to them how they're, we're not, we're not accepting any business from them, uh, because of, you know, past experience, past experiences. And, uh, and it's a, you know, it's a, um, 
I think honestly, if I were to give any advice to a new business is I would say be very selective from the get go. And I don't mean like handpick every single customer, but there's ways of being selective without having to be selective. Like, like you and I have both discovered you hit a certain price point and it weeds out like a ton of problem customers. I mean, even like, so, um, when we get a new customer, mm-hmm. uh, you get seven months free right out the gate. Yeah. Is it really free? No. <laughs> What's funny about that is, yeah. uh, one of the girls thinks it's unethical uh, that the way we do it, but it's weeding out the stupidity. Yeah, well, because what it does is it provide it requires people to put a larger amount of money up front into it, yeah. which means that they are committed to you. Like that means that it's different. You know, for instance, we if- had a guy cancel his service because he switched to Vivint, and he still had three or four months left on his seven months free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had five months, according to Kyle. <laughs> oh, five months. Yeah. <laughs> he got two months into his seven months free and decided that he was going to jump over to Vivin, who holds a twice solid as much F yeah. with the BBB. Yeah. Which, I mean, I know, yeah. I understand. That's not really... Better Business Bureau is kind of a... No a, one really uh, searches there. But when you hold a solid F and you have since day one of opening your business, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, which also goes to show you how much the BBB actually matters, considering that they're a very large company oh, and, yeah. and and they have an F and nobody cares. <laughs> um, Either way, it's eight twenty this morning. Yeah, and I've got to be at case at eight thirty. Yeah, it's time to time to skedaddle. Um, until the next time, uh, we will catch y'all back here on the flippity flop Austin Wagon.